I'll be reading the scripture today. It's uh, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue that inhabit all the earth, may your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great his signs. How strong are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Today's sermon has a very unique name. Uh Uh-oh. My paper that was here. Oh, okay. I I needed this. This is my poem. Today's sermon is called The Hound of Heaven. It's not a biblical phrase. It's a a poet wrote a, a poem called The Hound of Heaven back in 1800. And the idea caught a lot of people's attention. The hound of heaven means that God is chasing down his people. I have a dog, and uh, when I walk my dog, at night we'll walk the dog. The kids will walk the dog down the street, and they'll walk her maybe half a block away. And then she gets all amped up, and they'll take her uh, clicker off the collar. And she sits there and waits. As soon as that clicker comes off, she takes off running. And she runs back out. I'm on the porch standing there, and she runs. Dude, she, the the zoomies, right? That dog just, just so happy to be able to run and out in the open world. And she will run, and she'll go around me and the kid until we're all back home. And she runs in the house. The hound of heaven Reminds that dog being let off that leash. That dog is on the chase. That dog is on the run. Listen to this poem this man wrote about God chasing after him. This is a man named Francis Thompson who writes this poem. Back in 1800. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days. I fled him. Down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind, in the midst of tears I hid from him. And under running laughter, up vistaed hopes I sped, and shot, precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, Deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat more instant than the feet, saying, all things betray thee who betrayest me. This poem is just him saying, I was running and God was chasing. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And this book of Daniel is a very unique book. Uh, Babylon, uh, Neb- uh, that book of Daniel doesn't take place in Israel. We are in this, this kingdom called Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He rules all. 
Daniel is a Jewish young man living in this foreign land, and he's writing this book. It's one of the only books in the entire Bible, not in Hebrew and not in Greek. It's written in Aramaic. And this one chapter, or this one chapter, Daniel 4, may be the only chapter in the Bible written by a pagan king. Daniel 4 is penned by Nebuchadnezzar himself. This is like a page out of his journal, a page out of his diary, and Daniel just takes Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and puts it right here in the middle of his scroll. We have the king's words. You see, the hound of heaven was after the king. God desired the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar, and God chased him down. God sent Daniel. God sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the last three chapters, the king keeps on running into God and falling down. I throw these three boys into a fiery furnace, and they don't think and burn. Like everything he does, God shows up and like, I'm the one true God. But the king, even though he faces all these things, he still, the king still is like, he makes a law last chapter saying, no one talk trash on their God. He doesn't love their God, he doesn't worship their God. He just says, you don't talk trash against their God. That's all he says. But then out of nowhere, we read this. Now listen, spoiler. The hound of heaven captures Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord God captures the king's heart. Which is crazy. How does God Almighty break through this tyrant's hard heart? That's what he says. Like Dave read. He says, It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How strong are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. These are the words of the king of Babylon. He's given God Almighty, he's given Yahweh mighty praise. How did this happen? How did God capture this mighty man's heart? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell us what happened. Verse 4. Here's the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. So where does the story start? Nebuchadnezzar is at ease in his house, flourishing in my palace. You know what he's doing? He's chilling. His life is good, dude. He's like, when God found me, I was not looking for him. I was content. I was doing my thing. The lawn was mowed. The, the leaves were raked. The chores were done. I was sitting in my throne, a goblet of the good stuff, Grapes, fat and juicy, and life was good. I, I was at ease in my house, flourishing, meaning I'm rich, I'm happy, I'm the big dog, baby. My life is good, and I don't need nothing. When God captured Nebuchadnezzar's heart, Nebuchadnezzar was not looking for the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar was content with his life. And here's the first truth I want to tell us. In our stories, no one seeks after God. 
in our story, in our stories of how we meet the Lord, we are not the hero. God comes for us. Listen to what Romans says under the Apostle Paul. I go to the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. This is, uh, Paul is quoting the Psalms. He says this, There is none righteous, no, not run, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues that keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The biblical record tells us very clearly, humanity, we, how do you say, you know what, I say it this way, it's crazy that when America's doing well, when America is economically strong and Americans are doing well, church attendance decreases, because I don't need him. If my bank is doing good, if my job is doing good, if I'm doing good, if I'm fat and happy, I don't need nobody. We don't look for him. We don't seek the truth. We don't give a rip. We, I, my wife and I once, in one of our, we don't call them fights, I guess. We call them, in one of my epic leavings, um, we went and saw a movie together called Garden State. Remember this one, babe? And the movie ends, and the movie, this guy, the whole point of the movie is he, for the first time, decides, I don't know what life is about, I need to go figure out what life is, what, 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 what is true, so I can live a good and true life. And I'm like, oh, I'm in, baby, let's find a good, true life. At the very end of the movie, he goes, you know what, who needs the truth? You're really pretty, I'll hang out with you for a while. And the movie ends. And I was furious. I'm like, you abandoned truth? You abandoned the quest for truth? For a girl who doesn't know if you like, she likes you very much? Dude, I, so the movie ends, I get up and I walk out of the theater. I'm so mad. I'm on fire angry at this movie. And I didn't realize Angie was with me. I just left, and she was still in the theater watching the credits and stuff. And uh, I, it was pretty fast. It was pretty, I was pretty angry. And so I get to the car, I'm like, where's Angie? She's like, where's Ernesto? So it was a whole thing. But that's us. We don't give, a lot of us, we don't give a rip about truth. We don't give a rip about what's real. If we have our basic needs met, if we're happy, we are content with that we're content with so little. The Bible says there's none who seek after God. I think of my own story. When I was not a follower of Jesus, when I was 14 years old, and I'm lost, and I'm broken, and I'm angry, I looked all over for answers. I thought maybe I'll do good in school and get a good job, and the money will deliver me. I was a good student, even as a young boy. I thought I could deliver my family out of poverty through hard work. I looked many places to find deliverance. I never even considered looking up. We don't seek after him. And the king here does not seek after the Lord. He's sitting down doing his thing. Then verse 5, I saw a dream. And it made me fearful. 
And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my head kept alarming me. So I gave a decree to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I said the dream to them, but they cannot make its interpretation known to me. Nebuchadnezzar is not searching for the Lord, but the Lord comes for the king. The, the, the king goes to bed happy, and out of nowhere, a dream grabs a hold of him and scares him awake. This is how God does things. God is on the hunt. We are told in the Bible that God comes after us. We're told in Luke 15, there's a story of Jesus tells, Jesus says, there's a man who has a hundred sheep, one sheep wanders away. What does the man do? He leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Jesus searches for the lost sheep to bring them home. You have never ever met anyone who the Lord does not want to bring to himself. The Father desires to bring all people to himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that it's God's heart that none should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart towards every single person in the world. He desires all people would know him through Jesus. Listen. We're doing this Christmas Dort Center thing. And we're going all out. The MTA bus system on that day is completely free in the city of Flint. So every person from every neighborhood can get to the Dort Center easy and possibly hear the good news of Jesus. We believe every person in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our city, Christ wants to know them all. So we open the door wide. Come, come. In my, uh, as, as an American, when, whenever anything happens in America, we as people love to pick sides. We are side pickers. Right now in America, there's this, um, there's this awful conflict in the Holy Land between Israel and Hamas, with Palestinians caught in the middle. And people have chosen a side. They say, I read an article just uh, on Friday that says, in America and in Europe, Islamophobia is on the rise, and so is anti-Semitism. People choose their team and hate the other side. If I'm on Team Palestine, I hate them Jews. If I'm on Team Israel, I hate those Palestinians. And you see the rise of hatred for both. Um, in my neighborhood, there are people who fly a flag to show what team they're on. I'll fly this flag to show what team I'm on. And I, I was driving in my neighborhood, I saw one of the flags up. I thought to myself, I would love to put both the Israeli flag and the Palestinian flag on my house. And make everybody angry. Because I would say, listen, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know what? The Lord loves all these people. The Lord loves all these people and desires Jews and Muslims both to come to the knowledge of his son. As Christians, we have no enemies. As followers of Christ, 
We don't hate people. We don't choose a team and hate the other side. To us, we as followers of Christ, we are not people who are called to hate folk. We're not. It is the heart of Jesus Christ that all people, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, it's God's heart for all people to know Christ. I don't hate atheists. I don't hate Hindus. I don't hate Muslims. I don't hate Jews. You know why? Because God doesn't. Those people are not our enemies. The Lord loves them and desires the hound of heaven chases them down to bring them to himself. And we know this because the hound of heaven chased many of us. As a believer in Christ, many of us have, have run away from the Lord at some point in our story. We have run away from God. And guess what? When we run from God, God stinking chases. And thank the Lord that he does. We know that Jonah was told to go east, and Jonah ran west. And guess what? God didn't go, oh, go ahead and run, buddy. God came to get him. And when God came to get him, it was stinking scary. A storm so powerful came upon that ship that seasoned sailors were scared, shaking in their boots. They, they threw everything overboard, and they, you know what they, the sailors did at the end of their rope when they didn't know, the, we're going to die, the ship's coming apart. They're like, I guess we got to pray. A bunch of pagans, a bunch of seeking hard-drinking psychos are going, I guess we're going to die, might as well pray now. They wake Jonah up, Jonah, wake up, we're all going to die, we're going to pray. And Jonah's like, I know who it is. <laughs> He's going to call my cell phone all day. I'll call him, make sure, I'll make sure you guys don't die. Like, God chases. When God chases, it's scary, dude. When God chases, you know it's him. I was, when I, I ran away from the Lord years and years ago. I ran, I failed out of college, ran to Texas, lived in a trailer with no water or power on my grandma's property. And I'm like, I'm going to, I ran away from my mama, I ran away from my church, I ran away from my college, I ran away from everything, and I was hiding, and I ran away from the Lord. I told the Lord in prayer one day, I remember, I told, I remember praying, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And that was, that was my, I drew a line in the sand. You stay over there, I'll stay over here, that's fine. And God didn't honor our agreement. <laughs> I went to Texas. I, you're right, it was, it, was, it was my agreement. I just thought, you know. Ugh. I go to Texas, and I don't tell anybody who I am. I'm a Mexican in Texas. Whoa, pretty common thing to find. I, I work at Church's Chicken. I don't tell anybody who I am, but word gets out. You know, Ernesto used to be, he's going to school to be a pastor. And I'm like, not anymore, I'm not. But people, people were like, I mean, working at Church's Chicken, you know, making chicken and making biscuits. And someone's like, hey, Ernesto, can I talk to you? I'm like, what's up? They're like, oh, man, I'm going to something. I want to know if you pray for me. I'm like, I'm not, I don't do that no more. I'm like, God, just leave me alone. I don't want to pray for anybody. I don't want to love anybody. I don't want to lead anybody. I'd go home to my grandma's house. I'd go to have dinner, and she'd be in the house. And when I moved in, we talked all the time, and she'd tell me, Mijo, having you near just reminds me of how much I love the Lord. And her and God started, like, talking again. I'd come in and read her Bible and say, Mijo, this part of the Bible. I'm like, oh, no. Like, God, just leave me alone. And he wouldn't. He just kept chasing. <sighs> the hound of heaven. When that dog started chasing after you, good luck beating that. I remember I was, I was in the, the freezer grabbing a big old 
pile of raw chicken. And the, in the walk-in cooler, Texas, so it's hot as a mug down there. And so it's all that there's, like, uh, stuff melts and even in the walk-in freezer. There's water on the ground. There's, like, ice on the ground in the water. So I grab this. I grab two of them because I'm, I'm so tough. I grab two of the, the buckets of chicken, the, uh, the cases, and I'm, I can't even see because like, there's one right there. So I'm like, hey, hey, step on a piece of ice and an old football injury in my knee. I tore my ACL years before, never took care of it. And that moment, the MCL finally tore. And I just fell down. And all the chicken and ice just poured all over me. I'm laying in this soundproof walk-in freezer. It's, it's, it's early morning, so it's prep time. There's no one around. It's me and one of the ladies. She's up front doing biscuits. So I'm laying in this water. My backside's numb. I'm covered in raw chicken and ice. I'm laying there. I'm, I'm crying angry tears of just like defiance because I know, I know God is right there just looking at me like, you ready to talk? <laughs> my, my legs all going the wrong direction. I remember I finally closed my eyes and I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want of me? And he's like, go home. That's all he said, go home. I remember I just start crying. As soon as I start crying, the door of the freezer opens. So the light is like, it, it, it's, sometimes it's very epic, you know? And I'm like, and she's like, oh my gosh, she runs away you know, screaming. It was, but that was the beginning of my journey home. But listen, if you run from the Lord, he's going to chase you. And thanks God, thank God he chases his children. As, growing up when we were young, when we were teenagers, there might be these things that happened. A lot of us said these words. A lot of us in our adolescent journey at some point in defiant anger said to our loving parents, I hate you, Mom. I hate you, Dad. My kids have not yet said that to me. I hope that day never comes. If it does, I'll hold my ground. Go to your room. They'll go to their room and I'll just go to Angie and be like, But I said the words, I said it once, I said to my mom, those awful, I was trying to cut her as hard as I could. But here's the thing, sociologists tell us that kids will often attack the person they feel safest with. Because they know that person is not going to be pushed away. They, even though we're lashing out, we want them to remain near. Listen. As a loving parent chases after their defiant kid, our loving Heavenly Father chases us as we push, as we run, as we rebel. Yeah. The hound of heaven chases us to bring us back home. Yeah. Now, some people say Nebuchadnezzar had this awesome dream to bring him to God. Some people said to me, you know, if the Lord showed me a sign, if the Lord sent me a dream, then I would believe. Then I might consider the Lord but we're told in that awesome book of Hebrews, we're told that, the, that God has spoken in many ways and through many means and in many times. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. You've got to understand, God sent, never because you're a dream, but God has sent us Jesus Christ greater than any vision, greater than any dream, we have the incarnate Son of God before our eyes to see. We can read His words and see His unbelievable impact on world history. 
the entire world is changed by one man. We have something better than Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We have Jesus Christ who lived and breathed in this world and told us how to live and showed us how to be a human. The hound of heaven chases us down. God is on the hunt. God came for the king. God comes for us. And listen to this. If you have someone in your life who's not walking with the Lord, who's living disobedience, who's living in rebellion, don't stop praying for them because God is still chasing them too. God is still chasing after them. So, I go back to the beginning of this chapter. 4, verse 2. It has seemed good to me. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. Nebuchadnezzar king says, It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. Listen. The king, the hound of heaven, captured Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar bows his heart at the feet of God's throne. And he's like, I'm going to tell my story. It seems good to me to declare to you how good God has been to me. Here's the reality. Your story of God's faithfulness to you is powerful. No one else has your story. Nobody. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when he meets Christ, he is smitten blind. And Paul will tell that testimony, tell that story three times in the Bible in front of two kings and to one church. That story, he says, listen, listen to what God did to me. And he tells a story of how God met him on the road and changed his life. Your story has power. When you tell your story to someone, because it's personal, because it's real, because it's yours, it cuts through the noise. Your story, it can speak loudly to invite someone to consider following the Lord whom you love, the Lord who called you to himself. Your testimony, your story is powerful. And when you tell your story, it needs to be personal. This is what God has done for me. Your story must be unique to you. It must be your actual story. And here's the thing. Sometimes in, in church world, when I grew up in the Baptist world, the testimonies, the stories are often like 20 minutes of I was a piece of crap for most of my life. I meet Jesus, amen, service over. And we almost thought the worse you were, and the, like, the worse you were, the better the testimony. I've heard kids who grew up in Christian homes sometimes say things like, I don't got a good story. Don't believe that nonsense for a second. My wife met Christ when she was four years old. She confessed the Lord in her four-year-old heart. She asked her sister on the play set, tell me about Jesus. And her sister opened up the wordless book and showed her black sin, read the blood of Jesus. And just showed her the story, and she bowed her head there and called upon the name of the Lord, and she was saved. You know what her story is? Her story is, I have trusted the Lord my whole life, and he has walked with me. 
And he's kept me from a lot of the pain he tried to warn us all about. He was faithful to me and kept me close to himself for these few years. That's a beautiful story of God's faithfulness. Tell the story God gave to you. How God showed up for you. But it's not just about, it's personal. It should be personal. Telling our story. Listen, when you're saved, you have a story to share. When you have been saved by Jesus, you have a story to share. It should be personal, but it also should point to the truth. He says next, how great are his signs, how strong are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. He says, listen, he was good to me, and let me tell you what he's like. He's strong and mighty. And listen, Nebuchadnezzar knows he's strong and mighty. You know why? Because I fought that fool and lost twice. He's not a fool. I fought that guy and lost twice. I fought the Lord with my biggest, baddest guards, my biggest, baddest death penalty, and he laughed at me. God is mighty. God is strong. He rules forever, and no one can fight that guy. When you give your story, you want to tell your personal story, but you also want to point to who God is. As you tell the story of how God has been good to you, make sure that God is the hero of the story and not you. The story is not about how awesome you are. The story is about how faithful the Lord is. We run, he chases. We are faithless, he is faithful. We blow it all up, and God puts it all back together. This is the story we tell people. We listen, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me, let me tell you, here's my, this is what happened, this is how I felt. Let me take you to the Word and read to you about how, how He has revealed Himself to humanity. King Nebuchadnezzar writes his story down. Daniel puts it in his book. And we have it all these years later. We're still reading it. We are still reading it. Your story, our stories matter. Here at Felicity Church, on Wednesday nights, we have a Bible study right here for adults in this room. And oftentimes, during our Wednesday midweek Bible study, people will share God's story. Ms. Kitkat shared like three weeks ago, and it was awesome. This is what God did for me. And here's the thing. As we hear each other's stories, we are encouraged. We are pushed forward. We are, our faith is deepened. A few months ago, Mrs. Helen, um, who wasn't here today because uh, her boyfriend's church had free Thanksgiving dinner, so I see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> but Miss Helen, a few months ago, Miss Helen, she lost one of her kids to addiction. So she shared to our recovering addicts. We have a Tuesday night recovery meeting. And she shared to the recovering addicts what it was like having a son in that fight and what it was like losing her boy. Now listen, Mrs. Helen isn't a great speaker. Not a professional preacher. It was start, it was stop. At the next to her hold her hand the whole time. 
But all of us in that room, we, the Lord grabbed a hold of all of us through this, this quiet woman's story of loss and hope. Your story God has given you is powerful. So here's what I'm asking you to do this week. This is what I'm asking you to do, real simple. One, write your story down. You've got to do all of it. Some of the stories are too big. Maybe write a little episode of it. I was sick. God shut up. Here's a little version of a moment. Let me tell you what God, God was good to me in this moment. Maybe you go back to how you were saved and like, man, the Lord met me in this moment and changed my life. Choose a moment and talk about how God met you and helped you, delivered you, redeemed you, shaped you, saved you. Tell the story. As you tell the story, make sure, make sure it's personal. Make sure it also has some scripture in it because you want to point them to the Lord, point them to the truth. Write that bad boy down. Because you know many people in the world that don't know the Lord. I did this wedding, and the father of the, uh, the bride sat down with me. He, he's a construction worker. He's not a preacher. He's a hammer swinger, you know what I'm saying? And he was on a job site, and a lady came in, the, the inspector lady, which means she's the enemy, you know. And, uh, well, in Flint, anyways. But she, no, no, I'm just kidding. So she comes, and she's struggling. He said, what's the matter? She's like, oh, man, I gave him, I just stopped smoking two days ago, and I'm dying. Like, it's a hard battle, you know what I'm saying? And he goes, hey, would you mind if I prayed with you? She goes, can I, can I pray for you? Oh, please pray for me. She goes, he goes, can I pray for you right now? And he prays for her, right there in front of all the workers, and just prays for her. He done praying. She's like, thank you so much. This is the like, second time in my life someone has prayed for me. And he asked her, I want to ask you something. He goes, bold McGee. He just goes, do you know the Lord Jesus? Ask him. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you asked him for everybody? I asked her. And she's like, I know the Lord, and I love him. He's like, amen. You may be in a moment where you get to pray with someone or talking about, the, about, the, about Jesus, and your story, if you, if you have it, you're able to say, listen, let me tell you my story of how God met me. So write this bad boy down, and then if you would, we would love it if you'd come on a Wednesday and share your story with us. We'd love to hear the story of God's goodness on your life. It encourages us. We want to hear what God has done for you, in you, and through you. We want to hear it. If you want to, listen, it's a small crew, like you know, 15 of us, you've got to be scared. Nobody bites. My dog's not here. So first, write it down. And second, let me and Pastor John just say, listen, I'd, I'd like to share my story. And we'll get you on the schedule and we'll have you share your story. We love to hear your story because it is unique to you and we believe God is doing a work through you that we all need to hear about. So Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord got a hold of him. And you know what he did when God got a hold of him? He shared the story of God's goodness. You share that story too. So with that said, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Thank you, Lord, that you chase after us. Thank you that though we flee, you follow. That though we run, 
Where can we go from your presence? Where can we go that we can hide from you? Even if I make my bed in hell, still there you will find me, as your psalm says. If I were to rise up with the wings of the morning and fly to the furthest point of the skies, even then you would find me. Lord, help us as believers, followers of you, to write our stories down, to think about your goodness, that we may remember your goodness in the hard times. And Lord, maybe move in some of our lives to encourage us to share some of our stories, that the rest of the body may be encouraged by it. We love you very much, Father. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen.